Blog Talk Radio. The Keys Network is proud to present Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness with your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad. Consultants and Services LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, family, good evening, good afternoon. Depending on where you are in the world, it could be good morning. This is Blog Talk Radio, and I am your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad, and this is Disaster Awareness for a Community Preparedness. Beginning all things, after all, we start by giving acknowledgement, thanks, and praise to the all-wise creator for allowing me another expression of his kindness by allowing me to still be alive in his wonderful creation called universe at this day and time. It is only through the mercy and the grace of the almighty creator that I am here talking to you. Make no mistake about it. Brother Rudolph is no angel. Far from it. And I don't know what I have done um, to warrant this expression of his kindness, but whatever it is, I'm very thankful for it because it gives me another opportunity to right some wrongs and it gives me another opportunity to try and get it right. Today's show is going to be one that is going to be very informative, but it's also an open forum. So I want you to call in to 213-943-3618. Press the number one, and let's have a dialogue. Last week, for those of you who heard the show, Dr. Abdul Ali Muhammad was on the show. And what he did was, his topic was survival in these turbulent times. And with that, what he was doing was just spotlighting or hitting some major areas that are areas of concern. Now, some of that stuff may have been a little too deep for you to deal with, and that's okay. Some of the topics and things that he was dealing with um, may be hard to understand or grasp the concept. That's okay. 
because I'm quite sure out of the litany of things that he talked about, there was at least one that should have um, uh, caused you to reflect and it should have made a light bulb go off in saying, wow, I didn't know that and gave you reason to go look up some things this last week. But if not, okay, that's okay too, because we're still going to do what it is we came to do, which is inform, enlighten, and discuss how we can be better prepared for whatever emergency may come up. So, this is Women's History Month, and in keeping with our regular theme for Women's History Month, we want to talk about a woman in history. We want to talk about her accomplishments, and what profound effect she has on us today. Now, the question here is, who are we going to deal with today? Because there are so many women out there who have made profound effects on not just us personally, but historically. So which one will we try and spotlight right now? I think that I want to try and spotlight a sister who is an unsung hero a sister who is not very widely known outside of the confines of the Beckman-Stuyvesant community. However, she has made an enormous contribution in this community to a worldwide organization and most of all, as a mother to five children. I'm talking about a sister named Deborah Crawford. Now, Debbie, as we affectionately call her, grew up in the Bethesda community with her brothers and sisters, and she has had children and Debbie was one of the ones from the community who was on public assistance for some time. Late in Deb's life, she got off of public assistance because she became an emergency medical technician and got a job with the New York City Fire Department. Back then it was EMS 
and then went transitioned into the fire department. And Deb and I worked together for about 10 years in EMS. Aside from the fact she's one of the founding members of the world-famous Bedford Stuyvesant Volunteer Ambulance Corps. She was interviewed by Hugh Downs. No, I'm sorry. Not Hugh Downs. By Barbara Waters. Um, during a 2020 segment, oh, back in 1990. And the question to her was, what do you hope to accomplish by doing what you're doing? And her response was, I hope to be setting a good example for my children to let them know that it's never too late to start and it's never too late for accomplishments. So don't give up just because your current situation may not be what you want it to be. Hang in there, and there's always room for change. Unfortunately, Debbie is not with us anymore. She was a victim of cancer and passed some years ago, I think four years ago. However, her accomplishments remained because of the time that she put into the organization, the time she took training people, she will live on because people will remember her. So I wanted to take this moment to spotlight Deborah Crawford as our woman in history for this month on Blog Talk Radio. Now, moving forward, Again, for those of you who listened last week and heard Dr. Eileen, again, he hit a litany of areas, but one of the ones that I want to focus on is food, clean water, and our ability to possess it. Now, when we're talking about food, what is the definition of food? You know, um, depending on whom you talk to, people will have different um, different answers to that question. But the main thing that you want to try and come to the realization on is if what you're eating has no nutritional value, can it really be called food? If what you're eating is not fortifying, supplementing, and energizing your body, can it really be called food? Do you remember the seed from the Matrix? where he's sit, sitting with the agent at the dinner table in the restaurant, and he says, 
I know this is not really steak, but in my mind it is. That is a very significant thing um, for us because we could say that about just about uh, about anything that we eat right now. I know this is not really a banana, but in my mind it's a banana, and so it tastes like a banana. But are we getting the potassium that the body needs to sustain conductivity for the muscles, contractibility, so that the muscles can contract? Is the apple really an apple? Is the watermelon really a watermelon? Are those beans really navy beans? Or are they soybeans? There have been numerous reports in the news of relabeling of food. What do I mean? I'm talking about um, food that is, or, or let's say stuff, that is grown outside of this country, grown, packaged, and shipped here, then a company will receive it, they will repackage it and relabel it, and then put it on the market here, and you will purchase it from the supermarket under the guise that, it's green giant corn or green giant peas or dull pineapple. But is it really? There are many companies that are relabeling stuff and consumers are completely oblivious to it. And it really, really borders on false advertisement. However, it's sanctioned by the Food and Drug Administration. So as far as the general public is concerned, it must be okay because they sanctioned it. Well, you can go along with that trend of thought if you choose to. I would just suggest that you reread history and that you will find out what it's really all about. Water. When was the last time you had a good, clean drink of water? I mean, water that is free of microorganisms. Water that is free of heavy metals. Water that is free of bacteria and parasites. Do you have the ability to create that glass of water where you live at? Now, we know that one of the best filter filtration systems in nature is carbon. And as long as water is running downstream and running over rocks, it's purifying itself relatively, however, there are still the legions of microorganisms 
that are in the war. So then you have to try and rid the water of those microorganisms in order to make it safe for the body to drink. A lot of people say, well, what if I boil my water? Well, boiling water is great. Yes, you boil it, and if you have some system hooked up to it, almost like a distillery, that you can then condense the steam and return it back to droplets into another clean container, then you will have water that is free from microorganisms, but it does nothing to filter out the heavy metals that are in there. So that you would need something with a triple carbon filtration system to filter that, that out, and maybe if it had an ultraviolet light in the system where it could zap the microorganisms, now you could have a clean drink of water. But how much would something like that cost? Can you afford it? Would you even think to buy it? And how much could it filtrate at one time? Again, these are all positional questions. Yes, it can be done. Yes, it can. we can make it happen. But the question now is, would it be practical? So when we're talking about disaster preparedness at our levels, at the very basic levels, the grassroots levels, we are talking about survival Make no mistake about it. We are talking about survival. And in talking about survival, what we're, go what we're talking about is our ability to remain alive or to remain in existence after something has happened. Well, what is the something? It could be anything. It could be a flood. It could be a rainstorm. It could be a snowstorm a hurricane, a tornado, a blackout, a drought. It could be almost anything. So if you have the ability to remain alive afterwards, then you have to now deal with the painstaking reality of reorganizing Reacclimating and recovering from the situation so that now you can start to live again, you and your family. So, I know that uh, it seems like I'm talking about a million different things all at the same time, right? Well, that's how this thing works. It's many different things that are going on all at the same time, and you are in the middle and have to prioritize what is most urgent to you and your family. And at the same time, you have to be aware of what is going on around you so as not to make yourself a target to others. 
Okay, so how do we do that? We do that by teaching and training each other, exchanging information and putting our talents and gifts together for the service of, yes, ourselves, our families, but also our community. Because united we stand and divided we fall. Now, I know everybody, you know, we quickly think uh, when you're talking about survival, uh, that, that mindset of it's us against them or it's me against the world, um, survival of the fittest, I got to get mine, that whole mentality there which spins you off in another direction. And I'm not saying that it's not actual, it's not factual, and it's not true. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if we could think out of the box and change that paradigm from me, me, me to we, 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 or us using the soft pronoun, then it may be a better reality for us as a community and as a people. But the question is, who's willing to do the work that's necessary? Uh, remember the, the, the fairy tale about, I think that was Henny Penny, where she was going to uh, bake a cake? And she went to her friends and asked them to help her, and they laughed at her and gave her all kinds of excuses and wouldn't help. But then when the cake got done, they were all there expecting to um, reap the benefits of the cake. Well, it's the same thing with this. You got to put work in, people, and you got to work now. You have to work now. There's a saying that says, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. Well, that's applicable here because although these are not really peaceful times, they can and will get worse than they are now. And when looking back in retrospect, you will see this was a peaceful time. The objective is to put things in place now to mitigate or uh, create circumstances, create procedures, create protocols for operations now while we have the luxury of time of sitting back and uh, brainstorming it. So when the inevitable happens, we already have a set routine that will aid us in getting from point A to point B. But this cannot be done in a vacuum. Make no mistake about that, people. This has to be done through knowledge, through training, through willful, deliberative dialogue. But the main thing that has to be there 
is compassion for human suffering. Because without the compassion for human suffering, it becomes robotic and it becomes a doomsday paradigm. And that is not a good scenario for any of us. Do you really want to be out there on your own? Or would you rather be a part of a community that is struggling, striving, and fighting for survival together? Well, that's a rhetorical question. It's just a matter of which one you choose. Now, we're going to switch gears real quick. I hope that you have a pen and a piece of paper. Because, again, we always talk about this, and I know I I beat it like a dead horse. But that's because of how urgent this topic is and how mandatory it is that we understand it. And that's our personal commitment to first aid and CPR. Every able-bodied man, woman, and child must know how to perform cardiopulmonary resuscitation, when to perform CPR, and under what conditions these things happen. Because in the event of another 9-11 situation, depending on where you are geographically, there'll be no 911 service for you. It will be you and those who think like you being thrown on Front Street with the question in your face, now what? Or in other words, what are you going to do now? And this is what we are talking about when we're talking about being prepared. Doing the drills, writing down the procedures on paper so that they can be studied, they can be seen, they can be uh, analyzed and compared to other procedures to find out where the flaws are, where the merits are, and what will be the best given a certain situation. But again, none of this can happen without training, without practice, and without um, the knowledge of the time and what must be done. So as we get ready to go to our first break of the afternoon, Have your pens and papers ready. 
so that you can t- take down the information because what I'm going to give you, I'm going to work through the procedures for choking, for CPR, and for some basic first aid for many different medical situations. That's what we're going to do when we come back after the commercial break. So again, take note of the call-in number, 213-943-3618. Press the number 1, and you can speak live to the host and ask whatever questions you have, make whatever statements or comments you have, and we can have a free-flow exchange of ideas in order to help ourselves and help our family. So, again, you are listening to The Keys 107 on Blog Talk Radio. This is Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, and I am your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Rescue Squad, 718-453-4617. That's 718-453-4617. 
Welcome back to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. And I'm your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad. Call us at 213-943-3618 and press the number 1. Okay, now, let's talk about choking. What does it mean to choke? When a person is choking, what's happening is they're airway has been compromised. It's being blocked so that no air can come in nor can it escape. In choking, a person can be choking in either the upper airway or the lower airway. Quick anatomy lesson. The airway of the human being has two sections. Again, the upper airway and the lower airway. The structures of the upper airway are the oropharyngeal or the mouth, the nasopharyngeal or the nose. Both the nose or the nasal passage and the mouth passage meet at the back of the neck in what's called the throat or in medical terms, the pharyngeal, or the pharynx. Then, as you drop down, you have the epiglottis, which is a leaf-shaped flap of skin, which acts as a security guard at the doorway between the esophagus, or the food tube, and the trachea, or the windpipe. So when you're eating and swallow your food when you eat, the epiglottis closes off the trachea so the food goes down the esophagus or the esophageal tube and down into the stomach. When you're breathing and talking, the epiglottis closes off the esophagus so that air, wind, uh, air can go up and down the trachea or the windpipe. Now, once it leaves there, it goes past the larynx or the voice box where the vocal cords are, and then it goes into the trachea. The trachea is a tube that sits in front of the tube that takes the food into the stomach, the trachea again, or the windpipe, sits directly in front of it. And it goes down, and then it bifurcates or branches off into a left and a right. And then from it branching off from the left and the right, that's called the corona, C-A-R-I-N-A. The corona is the part in which the trachea or the windpipe branches off or bifurcates into the left and right main stem bronchus. Those tubes then branch off again into bronchioles, which are a smaller version of them, and then they branch off and go into the left lung and the right lung, and they go all the way down to the bases of the lungs 
with that they are met by what are called alveoli. Alveoli are air sacs at the very ends of the bronchioles. The air sacs, their job is gas exchange, or simply to remove carbon dioxide and to bring in or allow pure O2 or oxygen to get back into the system. So, medically speaking, the question is asked, where does gas exchange take place in the lungs? And the answer is alveoli. Alveoli look like bunches or bushels of grapes. And in between them, they are lubricated with a chemical called surfactant, which cuts down on the friction as they rub against each other from expanding and contracting as you and I are breathing. So again, when a person is choking, it can be at any point in that airway um, system. Where we come in is when a person is choking in their lower airway or in the trachea itself, the food has lodged itself in the in the windpipe instead of the food tube. And what we're going to do is wrap our arms around their waist. And in the middle of their abdominal region, we're going to squeeze them very forcefully, squeezing in and trying to force the air back up through the windpipe to push the food out. Now, what you don't want to do, and I know this is a natural habit, everybody does it, the minute a person starts coughing or it looks like they're choking, people want to run over there very quickly and pat them on the back. <clears throat> pat them on the back. Not realizing that the more you pat them on the back, the more danger you put them in because you could cause that object to drop and lodge itself deeper in the windpipe where it cannot be removed. Nature will do its own thing, and that's when the person starts coughing forcefully. That's the body's way of trying to rid whatever it is that's in the airway. If the brain senses that a foreign body has entered the airway, it triggers a coughing reflex. And this the body does automatically. So again, whether we're talking about adults or children, the only variance there is the size of the body that we're dealing with. But the procedure is still the same. Take your pointer finger and place it on their navel. Stretch your thumb all the way up as far as it will go to the little stir notch in the chest. Then make a fist with the other hand and place it in the center of that area between the tip of the pointer finger and the tip of the thumb. 
your open hand behind it and a series of abdominal thrusts, squeezing in and rotating up, trying to force that air from the diaphragm area or the abdominal area back up through the trachea or the windpipe to force the object out of their mouth. And you will continue doing that until you are so physically exhausted that you cannot continue until they say, hey, stop squeezing me, until you are relieved by someone of equal or higher medical authority, or lastly, until that person goes unconscious and drops down to the floor. Those are the only times that you are going to stop that. Now, if the person goes unconscious and drops down to the floor, you just assist their body with getting down to the floor and assist their head so that they do not bang their head on the ground, making sure the head is the last thing to hit the ground. And then what you're going to do is you're going to physically look in the mouth and see if you see the object. If you do, very carefully turn their head to the side and sweep it out of their mouth. If you do that, then what you're going to do is you're going to place your hands in the center of their chest, one hand on top of the other, and you're going to start a series of chest compressions. Now, the rate that you're doing chest compressions is you're trying to do 100 chest compressions per minute. The ratio, now remember, rate means rate of speed. It means how fast you're doing it. But the ratio is the comparison of something to something else. So the ratio is going to be 30 chest compressions to two ventilations. So you're going to push down on the chest 30 times. And one, and two, and three, and four, and five, and six, and seven, up to 30. Then what you're going to do is you're going to open the person's airway by doing the head tilt, chin lift. You're going to put your palm the palm of one hand on their forehead, and you're going to take two fingers and put it under the bony part of the chin and rotate the head back, which will open the airway. You will cover their mouth with your mouth, pinch off their nose, and exhale into their body, watching their chest rise. Then you will release the nose, take your mouth off of their mouth, and allow their chest to go back to the normal position, and then you will do it all over again. You will always give two breaths after you do 30 chest compressions. Now, I know you're saying, well, look, uh, I don't suppose I don't know them. I don't want to put my mouth on them. Do I have to put my mouth on them? No, you don't have to. You could just simply do chest compressions. Hold on, I think we have a caller on the line. Let me check and see if we have a caller on the line. 
Hello, caller? Is there a caller on the line? Okay. All right. So I thought we had a caller. We must have lost them. Remember, if you're calling in, 213-943-3618 and press the number sign. I'm sorry, not the number sign. Press the number 1 after you call in. And what will happen is we sh- we will uh, I'll bring you in and we'll talk. God. So again, if you're out there, call us back. Two one three nine four three three six one eight. Okay, let's get back to choking. Uh, so the person was choking, and they remained choking, and they went unconscious from choking. And when they hit the ground, you looked in the mouth, you didn't see anything. So you began 30 chest compressions, and that's what you're going to be doing. Now, somewhere along the line in there, you need to activate the 911 system, meaning EMS needs to be called. Once they're called, you have to give them certain information. Now, I will talk a little bit later about the information that's necessary when you make the 911 call. You know what? Let me do it now while we're talking about it. When you call 911, what you need to be prepared to give the person on the other side of that phone is your exact location. What is the building number that you are in? What is the name of the street that you are on? What are the names of the two streets that cross the street that you are on? Are you in a location that is a well-known location by its name and maybe not necessarily the building number, like the Empire State Building? or Madison Square Garden. What floor are you on? Are you in the sub-basement? Are you on the mezzanine? Are you on the 39th floor? What apartment are you in? All of this information is mandatory information that you need to give when you're calling 911 in order to ensure that help will reach you in a timely fashion. One of the biggest delays in getting help from the 911 system is a faulty address. And this is not a pitch for Halle Berry's new movie out, The Call, This is not a pitch for that. However, I would imagine that's going to be a good movie in the sense that it will give the viewer an insight into the 911 operators and into the fact that they are human beings. They're not machines. Now, I'm not saying that all of them 
get as involved in their callers as she did and as the movie says, but there are some real intricate things in there. Um, hold on, family. I think we have a caller on the line. Let, let's see. Caller, are you on the line? Okay, let's see. Caller, are you on the line? 256-792. Caller? Okay, I guess not. Okay, no, I guess it's not on the line. All right. So, again, you want to be able to give them a complete location. If possible, you want to send someone out there to meet them and to wave them in, to bring them directly to where you are. Also, what you want to do is try and be calm because the operators on the other side of that phone have the ability to talk you through any emergency that you may be going through. The question is, will you be calm enough to listen to their instructions? Okay. So now, what else? What other information? If you have medical information about them, if you know what their medical history is, it would be good to tell them then. If you know that they take medication or are supposed to take medication for something, it would be good to let them know. If you know that they have allergies to foods or medications, it would be good to let them know. Okay. So that's calling 911. So we won't have to go over that again. Just make sure you have as complete location as possible. Whatever information you have, calmly wait until the operator asks you for it and then give them the information you have. And never disconnect the phone until they tell you to hang up. That's another big thing with calling 911. A lot of people feel that or think that just because they call 911, if they hang up real quick, it will make the response faster. It will actually slow the response down if you do that because they didn't get to speak directly to you, so now there's no point of reference, and the call where it could have gone in as a priority, now goes in as a other because there's no information about it. Okay, so now we talked about choking for the adult. We talked about choking for the child. Remember, a child is someone considered between the ages of one year old and eight years old. Eight and above is considered an adult for purposes of CPR. Now, for infants, 
what you're going to do is you're going to position them on your forearm with their head in the palm of your hand, have their legs straddle your forearm, and they will be face up. Then what you want to do is you want to take your other arm and make it like a baby sandwich. Take your hand and stabilize their face, the chin, and the head. And then just flip them over onto your forearm to where now they're lying on their stomach on your forearm or face down, and their back is exposed to you. Now you want to hold their head down in the downward position so that gravity can work for you while you're doing this maneuver. You want to make sure their head is down at a very low rate. Uh, I'm sorry, not rate, low position. If you need to rest your arm on your thigh because of the size or the weight of the child, that's fine. But just remember, they cannot be parallel to you. The head must be lower than the feet. And then right between the shoulder blades, you want to give five sturdy back blows. One, two, three, four, and five. Do not be afraid to hit the child. Your objective is to dislodge whatever it is that's in the child's airway so that they can breathe again. Okay, so that's choking. Now, how do you know that a person is choking? Look at them. Of course, the simplest way is simply ask them, are you choking? If indeed they are choking, they will not be able to answer you. If they are not choking, then they will be able to answer you. Okay. Are there any questions so far? Okay. If you have a question, you know the caller number. Now, how else do you know that a person is choking? Look at the facial expression and the color of their face. Everybody that chokes turns a shade of red, white, and then blue. Initially, they're red, they're flushed because all of their blood vessels dilate right up under the skin. Then they become white because, or pale, because the blood vessels then constrict and they don't allow any flow of blood to the skin. And then finally, they turn that shade of blue because they are oxygen-starved or oxygen-deprived, and this is right at the point before they're ready to check out. So if you notice somebody a little blue in the face, blue around the lips, you may want to try and get them to sit down before they fall down. 
All right. So now let's talk about CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Three reasons people will not do CPR was they don't know what to do. Two, they're afraid that if they do something and do it incorrectly, they'll be sued. Negative. The Good Samaritan Act states that you did the same thing the next reasonably thinking person would have done with the same amount of training. And if that's what you do and don't do anything other than that, don't do anything that you saw on House last night or Nash or you were watching reruns of MacGyver and you tried something. No, don't do that. Now, where CPR is concerned, the worst thing that you can do for a person that needs CPR is absolutely nothing. Because if you do nothing, you can guarantee that that person will remain dead. Whereas if you attempt to do something, circulate that oxygen-rich blood, if nothing else, just push on the chest. If you simply do that, you will cause the circulation of oxygen-rich blood, which will help to keep cells alive. So again, CPR, what is it? Cardiopulmonary resuscitation. It's restarting the heart when it needs to be restarted. It's breathing into a person's body to help get oxygen-rich blood into them. It's 21% oxygen in atmospheric air. That means room air, outside, in whatever place you are right now, there's 21% oxygen. And you and whoever else is in there with you are all breathing the same 21% oxygen. Nobody is getting more than the other one. Nobody is fighting over, oh, you're breathing my oxygen. Everybody is getting the same amount of oxygen. Now, here's the kicker to it. When you exhale, you exhale CO2, carbon dioxide, and you're exhaling 16% carbon dioxide. So what does that leave? You're inhaling 21% oxygen. You're exhaling 16% carbon dioxide. How much oxygen does the human body require to sustain life? That is the question. The first caller that calls in with the answer to that question, I have a special prize for you. There will be a gift for the first caller who calls in with the answer, how much oxygen does the human body require to sustain life? 213-943-3618. Press the number one. Okay, so now you inhaled 21%, you exhaled 16%. So what does that mean? That means in your exhaled air, you have enough air in your wasted air or the air that is coming from you that is 
going to the garbage or to be recycled in that air is enough oxygen to sustain life in somebody else. So this is theoretically why 30 compressions and two ventilations work. But again, you are not required to put your mouth on anyone that you do not choose to. Wow, this is almost like deja vu. Okay, so now we did that. We talked about, oh, here's the other thing. The Good Samaritan Law, again, states that you did the same thing the next reasonably thinking person would have done, given the same training, and if you did that and didn't do anything other than that, nothing crazy, nothing outlandish, no special forces medic stuff, then you will never be successfully sued for trying to help someone regardless of the outcome. And it doesn't make a difference whether it's an adult, a child, or an infant. It's still 30 chest compressions to two ventilations. 30 to two. 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 After the fifth cycle, you're going to check for spontaneous respirations or breathing and a pulse or a heartbeat. And you're going to check them both at the same time. Now, you want to know how you're going to do that? Simply, it's called look, listen, and feel. You're looking for the chest to rise and fall. You're feeling for air on the side of your face, and you're listening for breath sounds in your ear. So, again, what does that mean? That means that in order to look, listen, and feel, you have to be directly over the person's mouth, looking down at their chest. And as you quickly give them the breath, then you want to immediately focus on the chest and see, do they accept the air? Do they reject it? Or did they simply, um, was they, did it not go in at all? If it's the case that the air did not go in at all, that means the airway was not open. So you must open the airway. How are you going to open the airway? You're going to put one hand, the palm of one hand, on the forehead. Take two fingers from the other hand under the bony part of the chin and rotate the entire head back. That opens the airway. And you will do that on anybody unless you suspect that they may have a spinal problem, a cervical spine problem, meaning they were involved in an act, a car accident, they were riding a, a motorcycle or a bicycle and ran smack into a tree, you know, something of that nature, then you want to be very careful on how you open that airway. And for them, you would not use a head tilt to left. You would take your thumbs, and place them on their cheekbones, and you would take the rest of your hands on both sides 
and placed them up under the jaw and manually unhinged the jaw and thrust the chin forward, which will open the airway. It's called the jaw thrust procedure. All right, we're going to get ready and take another short break, very short break, and when we come back, we're going to... I'm going to give you a little bit more information, and then we're going to wrap up and get ready for the next segment, which are the Peacekeepers Roll Call, because they have some dynamite information to give out to you today, as well as a recap of last week's events, as well as an opportunity for you to become a peacekeeper wherever you are. The Peacekeepers and the Save a Life Rescue Squad are one and the same. The peacekeepers and the Save-A-Life rescue members are those individuals on the front lines in our communities trying to establish a safe environment to live in and safe from physical harm as well as safe from environmental harm. So that's the Peacekeepers Roll Call, which starts immediately after this show. But we're going to a commercial break right now, and we'll be right back after this commercial break on the Keys 107 Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. We save lives in the community, and we go to any community that needs to learn how to save lives. We're not bound by territory or borders. We go wherever people need the help. Save a Life Rescue Squad, 718-453-4617. That's 718-453-4617. Hey, hey, you. Bring that microphone over here. I want to tell you something. Hey, hey, hey. My name is Bobby, and I've been living homeless on the streets of New York for years. And the only reason why I'm eating out of dumpsters and I'm living without my family is because I lost my keys. Listen to Keys 107 on Blog Talk Radio. Yes, family, we are back at Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. I'm your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad. So, now... You can go online to just about any CPR website out there, and you can see exactly how CPR works. You can contact, if you're in the New York City area, contact the Bepper-Stuyvesant Volunteer Ambulance at 718-453-4617 or contact the Save a Life Rescue Squad at 718-453-4617. Tell them that you heard about it on the Keys 107 Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Here we go. This is what we'll do. If you are if you want to take a CPR class and you mention that 
you heard about taking CPR with either the Save a Life Rescue Squad or the Bedstrap Volunteer Ambulance Corps, mention that you heard it on the Keys 107, Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness with Brother Rudolph Muhammad as the host, and you will receive a discount on your CPR class. Yes, that's what we'll do. And I'm not going to make it for the first 50 callers or even the first 100 callers. Anyone that calls in and mentions the radio station, you will get a discount on your CPR class. Now, as it is, with CPR classes, 10 or more people, and you will receive a discount off of the regular price. Uh, we can come to you or you can come to our academy. We teach CPR seven days a week. The offices are open six days a week, Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. The academy is open until midnight, but you just need to call ahead so that you can schedule your class. Yes, I am pushing CPR, and I'm pushing it because it is so valuable for everyone to know CPR. Maybe you do not need to take a CPR class and get the professional certification. Maybe you're not a doctor, a nurse, an EMT, a paramedic, a uh, personal trainer. You're not working with children. Maybe you just want to learn it for yourself. Maybe you just want to learn it for when you have the grandchildren over. Maybe some of you children want to learn it so that you can use it to brag to your other peers that you know CPR. Whatever the reason, you should be calling the Bedstar Volunteer Ambulance Call or Save a Life Rescue Squad and scheduling yourself for a CPR class. Also, we have first aid classes. Now, we didn't get to go into first aid this week, so next week we will go into first aid. What do you do when a person has a seizure? What do you do if a person breaks their leg? What do you do for a pregnant woman who is about to deliver a baby and you're not in the hospital? What do you do when a person has an asthma attack? What do you do when a person has any type of respiratory or breathing problem? What do you do when a person goes into a diabetic emergency? What do you do if a person is having an allergic reaction? All of these questions and scenarios will be answered next week on Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, the Keys 107, with your host, Rudolph Muhammad. So I would like to thank you for those of you who tuned in this week. A little different format this week. I just figured I'd um, do a little bit of teaching this week and try and get the emphasis out there to you on the need to be prepared and the need for personal, personal um preparedness. Be selfish with this, people. Think about it as being 
something for your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your mom, your dad, an elderly member of your family that you may be a caregiver for, an elder in your family who you may need to intervene for them in order to either save their life or restore their life. So again, I want to thank you for tuning in this week, and I want you to stand by and get ready for the Peacekeeper's Roll Call, which comes up immediately after this show. And remember, if you are in the New York City area, contact me. If you want to email me, make it attention, Brother Muhammad, at BSVAC at AOL.com. That's B as in boy, S as in Sam, V as in Victor, A as in Apple, C as in Charlie. BSVAC at AOL.com. If you go into BSVAC.org, you will see some of the things that the organization is doing. Remember, we are not just a local organization. We are the ambulance service for the country of Haiti. We are over there now. We go anywhere that the demand is there, any community, any city, any state, any country. All you have to do is make your request known to us, and then we work out the details from there. But make no mistake about it. The time and what must be done, the time is that we the people must unite and must learn what we need to learn in order to survive these in these days and times. Thank you again, and I wish you peace. I wish you prosperity. And I wish you love. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and have a blessed week. The Keys Network is proud to present... Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness with your host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad.